It's Talking Twins and more with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au. It's Talking Twins and more, a multiple birth podcast. And today it's just me, Naomi, from Twinfo, because my co-host Nikki has sick twins. We've all been there, done that. There's nothing worse than a sick child, unless it's two sick children. Um, but anyway, today I am. I have a guest, so you're not going to have to listen just to me, um, which is a good thing. So joining me today is Angelique from the Midnight Gang. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So we're going to get on to a couple of things today. Um we're going to talk about nighttime toilet training, um, which is a huge thing for in for anyone um, because that's I think once you've achieved that goal, you kind of think I'm done. I've I've done the hard bits. Um, little do we know it gets harder. But anyway, that's another <laughs> podcast altogether. Um, but I found out something interesting about you a little while ago, which I was quite fascinated with. You are the sibling of twins. Yes, that's right. So I have twin brothers. So they're younger than me. So they're 27 at the moment and they're identical twin boys. So uh, do you have any older siblings or it was just you and then no. the boys? Uh, it, so it's me, then there's another brother in between and then the twins were last. The last, okay. And um, what was it like? So how old were you when they, when they were born? So I was 10. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh, I, I only dream about having a 10-year-old helper. Absolutely. And I think it's not until now that I have kids that I look back and think, gosh, mum was lucky <laughs> to have me as a 10-year-old when she had twins and my other brother was two at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were like, you know, this, a second mother. Absolutely. I really was like a second mum. I still remember my job was to wipe down the um, high chairs and all those kinds of things that as a mum now you do and don't think much of, but they were my job. So while mum was kind of cooking dinner, I was helping to do, you know, wipe their faces with the face washer and do all those things. Fantastic. Gosh, she was lucky. Totally. But even though she was lucky, I have to say, I think I was the lucky one. I remember going to school and I was the only one that had two real life dolls at home I thought it was absolutely magical I can only imagine yeah that would be um for a 10 year old girl that would be pretty cool wouldn't it oh my gosh and I was a baby obsessed doll obsessed little girl anyway from a really early age so when my brother Tom came along I was eight so that was still incredible and then I still remember the day when mum told us um, or told me that I were having twins. So I was in the playground at school playing and I saw mum's car pull up outside the gate because I knew they had an appointment earlier that day. And we ran to the gate with all my friends, you know, how did the ultrasound go? And then mum told me that there were twins. There were two in there. And I still remember I, my jaw just, I was speechless. I just couldn't believe that there were going to be two babies. Do you remember if you were um, a little bit scared about how that would impact you? No, I was just, I think for so long I'd wanted a sibling. And so to have Tom, my little brother, who was, as I said, nearly two at the time, and that was just, it was so great because because I was that bit older, there was no fighting, there was no sibling rivalry. It was just, and I, maybe because he was a boy as well, but it was that real 
older sister, almost motherly relationship with him. So when the twins came along, I just, I was in heaven. I've always wanted siblings, although I did, I was desperate for a sister. Yeah. So when, and I knew that they were going to be boys. I'd already made the cards when mum went into labour. She didn't know what she was having, but I'd already made two boy cards because I just knew I was never going to get a sister. And sure enough, they were boys. Um, but that was awesome. I I would dress them in dresses and things when they, yeah. we've got so many photos of them in dresses and I called them Lucy and Michelle instead of Luke and Michael. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> Yeah. How did you cope? Um, do you remember like going out, like, I don't know, grocery shopping or to the park or whatever, and the attention that the twins and plus, because I mean, Tom was would have only been two and a half, three when they were born. Yeah, yeah. I I remember actually going to um, high school for a tour and I had, mum had the twins in the twin pram. And I remember, you know, everywhere we'd go, people would just, oh my gosh, these two little bald babies sitting in the pram. But I felt like it was I was almost the celebrity because a lot of people would say, wow, you must love having them or you must be such a big helper. Or So I actually loved the attention that they got because I loved them so much and I was so proud of them that it made me excited that our family was getting attention. So I didn't really feel, and I guess because I was that bit older, I didn't feel so much that it was taking away from me, whereas I think maybe if I had have been closer to their age, it I may have noticed it more, but I was kind of so almost like a mum, you know, just so proud thinking, yep, they're my Brady brothers. So it was a positive thing for me. Yeah. What about your brother? Do you know if he, I mean, he was so young, I guess, that, but when he got a bit older, did he feel a bit left out growing up with, considering they were all boys as well, I guess? Yeah, that's interesting. I, to be honest, I don't even, I'm not really sure. I've never, that'd be a great question to ask him, actually. I've never even thought to ask how he would have handled it. Um, but he was a, he was a really, um, gentle, loving little boy. Um, and it's funny. I think having a big sister first, I think kind of sets the scene for that. Like having three boys around two and under, you know, a lot of people assume it would just be kind of mayhem, but they were really calm, quiet little boys. And I really think it has an impact on whoever the oldest is. And being a girl, I, you know, I was playing with dolls and quiet things and Barbies. And so they grew up playing with soft toys and Disney movies and a lot of the more quiet things that I was doing, they would kind of play as well. So they grew up really loving dolls and and that loving kind of nurturing play because that's what they saw with their elder sibling. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And tell us a bit about your family because you've got um, a few children of your own now but no multiples. No, no multiples. And we weren't sure because they're even though they say identical twins, it's not hereditary with both my husband and my side, there's just twins galore. So it would have been expected or you know not a surprise if I had it but no I didn't get twins so I've got um my eldest is 11 and then I've got a boy who's nine and then another little girl who's seven. Oh, beautiful oh. they are now let's get on to um we've been off topic a bit there this morning I just wanted to ask some questions about that because I find it quite fascinating um what it would be like having having twin siblings 
Um, well, I'll actually just, I just wanted to jump in before we do get onto that, because I thought it might be interesting for your listeners too, who might have younger twins and who might be wondering kind of, I wonder what it will be like as they get older. So I just thought it would be just kind of funny and to share a little story of, because now they are older. So when they, um, before they were born, just before they were about to be delivered, um, they had twin to twin blood transfusion. So um, all of Luke's blood went into Michael and so Luke came out you know the color of the walls and Michael came out this beautiful big red baby um and so luckily they didn't need blood tra- Luke didn't need a blood transfusion um but he was in a humidity crib for a few days but it's funny because still 27 years later they still have that joke and Luke will still say well you stole my blood and they'll still kind of have that joke of you always steal things from me and it's a very light-hearted joke but I just thought it was funny to share that they still have that kind of twin banter, you know, 27 years later. So I'm sure that there's probably a lot of parents listening who are wondering how their twins will kind of grow and what they'll be like as adults. So it's funny to say they still have that kind of banter between them. That's so good to hear because that is one thing that we all, I know um, what I I'm speak for, for the whole multiple birth community here, but you often you always wonder what their relationship is going to be like when they grow up. And I mean, gosh, is having twins going to impact them? Is it going to be good for like having a sibling or a triplet? Like, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Oh, that's good. Thank you so much for reassuring us on that because (laughs) um, that is something that I certainly worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So tell us a bit about, um, because you're quite the expert really on nighttime toilet training. Um, and it's something that a lot of people, I guess, fear, um, particularly mm-hmm. I know for myself in the multiple birth world, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're finally sleeping and now we're going to nighttime toilet train and I'm going to have to be getting back up to them all the time and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess reassure us that it's <laughs> not <laughs> as bad as we kind of think it's going to be because I know for me eventually um, – when we did do it, because I kind of put it off for as long as possible. But, um, yeah, I'm glad we yeah. did it. And talk us through yeah. a bit about that, though. Like, I don't know, like, what? how do we even start? Like, what are the cues? Yeah, I think the biggest thing from the get-go is our expectations um, because it is very, very different to daytime toilet training. And a lot of people might say, okay, you know, in the next few weeks, we're going to start toilet training and get the kids, you know, on the potty. And that's very achievable. But nighttime bedwetting is a whole nother thing. And it's something that you can't train or predict or do a whole lot about really. So I think having that expectation from the start that this is something that is going to just be when my child is ready. And it's exactly like crawling or walking. They do it when they're ready. And there's not much you can do to stop that. So I think if people understand that it's we'll do it when they're ready and not have too many expectations on when that will be, then that's a really good place to start. So in terms of the cues, so the main one is noticing that they their nappy is now waking up dry. So when they're doing that for at least seven days in a row, that's when you can start thinking about maybe taking it off at night time. But that is the the really number one thing you need to be looking for is their nighttime nappies and consistently being dry for at least a week. Yeah, I think that that's, um, 
I'm, I'm just trying to think back now because obviously my twins are 11. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, I think I, I, my daughter was the first for that. So, yeah. we yeah, And that's we, uh, very common. Is it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much um, research out there that says that girls nighttime toilet train much faster than boys. Um, and it's interesting because I, I did a live the other day um, talking about, um, I got an expert to come on and talk about, she was a pediatric nurse, um, about bedwetting and why it happens and kind of the medical side of it. And I asked people to send in questions beforehand and probably 95% of the questions were about boys from 7 to 11. It was just incredible how common boys were after the age of seven. And my son is nine, almost 10, and he still has um, night nappies and they're still wet every single night. So it's incredibly common. And all the people asking questions thought they were kind of the only one. And so when I would say to them, you have no idea how many people are asking the exact same question, they were just so reassured that it is just so common. It is something, I guess, um, we don't really talk, I mean, we share so much as mothers with other mothers mm. um, and I'm sure the dads are the same, but I know for me, but that's one area that, you know, you always talk about, oh, yes, no, she's toilet trained kind of thing, but you don't, um, you just kind of just don't mention it if they're not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I guess there's that element of um, kind of, you know, shame, like, oh, I don't want to say that my son's not. But also I think because as our kids get older, we start being um, aware of their privacy and their boundaries and so you don't share those things because you think well you know that they wouldn't want that to be shared or you don't want their friends to find out so you often don't talk and I actually received a message yesterday on Instagram of a follower telling me about her daughter how she's been dry for the last six days but for the last few years she's been sharing her story with me and she said I have no one else I can share this news with so thank you so much for being the person that I can share her wins with because she hasn't felt like she can share it with anyone else because she doesn't want, you know, anyone to know about what her daughter's going through. So, yeah, it is something that we don't talk about a lot. Yeah. No, that's for sure. Yeah. Um. So what kind of things do you need to have on hand? Like I know when we day trained our twins, um, you know, we went and bought undies and did all of that kind of stuff. What about at night time? What are some things that kind of help? Yeah, so absolutely everyone should have a mattress protector on their mattresses and that's even just for if you you know they get gastro mm -hmm. um even dust mites things like that um but it's really important that it's pvc free so there's so many out there on the market you can get there now but you need to make sure it's pvc free because pvc is a plastic and it's firstly it takes 450 years to uh, decompose so it's terrible for the wow. environment but yeah but when it's warmed as well it can release um, chemicals so obviously when a little body is sleeping on it for 11 hours or so um, so it's not safe um, for our kids to be sleeping on those so just check that it's PVC free um, but always have that on your mattress and then obviously your sheet and then this is where my products come in um, so we've got um, products called Bedmates. So they just go on top of the fitted sheet and they tuck under the mattress with wings. And then if your child has an accident, they sleep directly on top of that. You just whip it off and all the sheets stay perfectly dry. So if you had a couple of those in your cupboard um, ready to go, um, then that's something that just makes that middle of the night bedtime accident so much easier. 
Absolutely. That's a dream because that was, yeah, the big thing was getting up to to change the sheets in the middle of the night and everything like that. By Absolutely. that time, everyone's awake. Exactly. And you can never find your sheets, your spare sheets in the middle of the night. It's always the one time you can't find <laughs> them. So then you, you're standing there and everyone's cold and your kid's wet and you can't find your sheets and it is such a nightmare. Let alone, I, yeah, I must say I've woken up and, uh, you know, they're completely odd sets of sheets I've put on in the middle of the night or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. So um, talk us through how that actually works. So it just goes over the, so you put the sheet down and then you put yep. the bed mate on top of the sheet or under the yep, sheet? Yeah, exactly. So you put your fitted sheet on and then you put the bed mate on top of the fitted sheet. And so the child sleeps directly on top of that. Um, and it's uh, only about a metre wide. And so then if they have an accident, that's the thing that gets wet and you just pull it off and they can jump straight back into bed. So, um, and because it is on top of the fitted sheet, it's something that's seen by the kids, obviously, and even sometimes the parents and depending on how you make your bed. So it was so important to us that we had really beautiful designs on them so that they look pretty, they look nice. Kids aren't looking at them like they're a, you know, sterile medical bedwetting product, which can cause so much angst in kids especially as they get older to think oh I've got to have my bed wedding sheet on so by having really beautiful prints on them I've heard parents say to me they won't sleep without their fairy sheet because they think it's this really beautiful special extra sheet they get to have on their bed um, but in fact it's actually for bed wedding so that just really takes the stigma away especially for the kids who are getting older and are much more aware about what's on their bed mm, yeah that's true that's great hmm. and um, so are they likely to have more than one accident overnight? It does depend. Some kids do, definitely, especially if they're not ready for bedwetting and maybe we think they are. So it's definitely best to have two so that you can quickly put another one back on just in case it does happen again in the middle of the night. Um, it really depends where they are on their journey of of kind of toilet training at night though. Some kids and their bladder capacity, there's all sorts of um, reasons why kids may or may not, especially kids with special needs. They're definitely more likely to have multiple accidents during the night. Yeah. So having a few on hand um, is a really great idea to be able to swap it over. And then during the day when one's drying, you know, you've got a couple there ready to go. So yeah, it depends on each child. Do they take long to dry? Because they'd be quite absorbent. Yeah, they are. And so they obviously will take longer than a normal sheet. sheet um, yeah, but absolutely. what yeah, but what we recommend is putting them through the spin cycle twice in your washing machine. So once it's all ready, pop them through again for a second spin cycle, and that just gets an extra bit of moisture out. But then they dry in a day. Um, although, you know, during winter, um, obviously a bit longer, but they are dryer friendly as well. So you can pop them in the dryer as long as they're on a low heat. Um, so that helps too. Um, talking of winter, is there a sort of a preferred time to toilet trains like summer versus winter or anything like that? I know for me, yeah. my daughter trained in the summer and then my boy was kind of more in the winter and I remember thinking oh this is so not the right time of year but we kind of he was showing the right cues so we just had to go with it yeah and that's exactly right if it was just toilet training summer I always say just hold off till summer and it's much easier 
but nighttime bedwetting because that's not something that you can control in a perfect world summer would be a great time to do it but if they are showing signs that they're ready then you're just going to have to follow their lead and go with it go with it yeah okay i did i did think that that was um something you can't really control so to speak yeah, as, yeah. as much as you'd like to <laughs> yeah exactly um, what I really did like about the fact, um, and I, I said it myself, I keep saying nighttime toilet training, you can't train them, can you? So and you started the whole conversation with us about adjusting our mindset, and I guess that's probably one thing, and, and really not just calling it an accident because it's not an accident, it's happened. So I think, yeah, we need to be quite mindful about the terminology we use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, kids really pick up on kind of, yeah. of what we're saying and and the vibe we're giving them. And so one of the things that's so important as well is that when they do have um, a wet bed during yeah. the night that we say that's okay and that we're really positive and the next morning we're positive and we say, you know, this is just part of being a child and growing up and these things happen and not making them at all feel any part of um, shame or that it yeah. was a bad thing. Even and especially sometimes when they've been dry for a period of time and then they have an accident, it's easy for parents to be like, oh, so it's so important that we don't let them hear that and that we're really positive with our words and um, reassuring them that that's just part of it and, you know, that that's okay. Yeah, I remember I used to say to um, my son, uh, uh, do we need to wash your pyjamas? Yes. In the morning because he he was at the age where he would just get up and get dressed. Um, yes. Or we'd lay his clothes out the night before or whatever, but he he could do it that all himself. But I'll be like, oh, do we need to wash your pajamas? And he'd just say yes or no to me, and then just keep going about his daily business. And I was exactly. I was happy with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with my son. I'll say to him, or he'll say, "Mum, can you wash my sheets today?" And yeah. I'll say, "Yeah, absolutely." And that's his way of you know of letting, letting me know. know without having to talk about it. And even um, as he's kind of gotten older now, in the mornings. He'll, I'll see him quickly duck into the kitchen and quickly come back out because he's he's put the pull up in the bin. Whereas before he would kind of either give it to me or whatever, but now I see him quickly duck in so that no one sees him putting it in the bin. Yeah. Um, so I can see he's becoming a lot more self-conscious about it. Um, but one of the interesting things too about knowing when they're ready, when I had the paediatric nurse on the other week, a lot of people were saying kind of what age is normal and, you know, what age should we expect? And she said the age is when they're ready. And I thought it's so interesting. Like we, we're so in our society, we want an age for something. We want to know when it's going to happen, how old should they be, what's normal. And she said for nighttime bedwetting, it's when they're ready. And that really can be any age. And so there are so many things that can affect it as well. And bladder maturity is one of them. And that's something we have no way of knowing how mature their bladders are. So we can't look at them and know that and we can't do anything about it. It's a developmental thing. And so if their bladders, they just can't hold that amount of wee or if they're a deep sleeper, if they're not getting the messages, a lot of kids even have constipation without us actually realising because they're going to the toilet, but there can be a buildup in their tummies that pushes on their bladder So there's so many reasons why kids do wet the bed and that's why training them won't necessarily do anything because there's a lot of other um, kind of medical or physiological reasons for why it's happening. Yeah, I always knew I was going to have a tougher time, so to speak, with my son. He 
of the most random thing that you could be diagnosed with. They had to do all the tests for diabetes and all of that, but he got diagnosed with excessive water consumption because wow. he drinks litres of water. Mm-hmm. If I like, He takes a litre water bottle to school and he fills it up two to three times a day just at school. And then as soon as he gets home, he'll have a huge drink and he'll have a drink in the morning before he goes. And I I remember I was always thinking, oh, gosh, nighttime toilet is going to, bedwetting is going to be an issue here because he just drinks litres of water a day. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So because, yeah, we had to have tests for diabetes and all sorts of things because he was just drinking so much. Um, and yep. I was like, what's going on? Because everyone else is like struggling to get their kid to drink, you know, three centimetres of their water bottle. Yeah. And um, my kindy teachers were saying to me, I had to fill this bottle up six times today kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, on a side note with that, though, a lot of people when it comes to nighttime bedwetting think that they need to restrict the amount of water that their kids are drinking before they go to bed. But it's actually not the case. Um when I was talking to the pediatric nurse, she was saying it doesn't matter how much water you drink or don't drink because if you think about us, if we have a cup of tea or drink too much water before we go to bed, often we'll wake up during the night and need to go to the toilet. So we don't wet the bed because of it. We wake up and go to the toilet. So if these kids are wetting the bed, it's not because they're having the water. It's because they're not getting that signal that wakes them up. So, yes, if they had too much water, they would wake up and probably need to go to the toilet during the night, but it's not causing the bedwetting. It's because they're not getting that signal to say, oh, wake up, I need to go. So, you know, restricting the amount of water that they drink before bed won't help their bedwetting. Actually, um, just thinking when you said get up to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, um, one thing that we invested in, and we still use them and they're 11, the kids, um, is those plug-in nightlights down the hallway and there's one in the bathroom and things like that. So they don't have to turn the light switch on and fully, fully wake up, I guess. Yep. Exactly. Um, And sometimes that can be part of the reason that sometimes they are too comfy or they don't want to get out of bed and get into go into a dark hallway. So you can even try putting um, a potty in your kid's room um, to see if that helps. But often it's um, it's more the connection. um, They're not getting the message from their brain to their bladder um, and vice versa, or it's the the deep sleepers or things like that. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, I do know that, um, as we said, you know, there is a bit of a stigma around it. Um, like what happens with, like with the your bedwetting mats and things like that? Um, do people just take them with them if they go and stay at a friend's house or something like that? Is yeah, yeah, yep. And that's that's the beauty of them because they don't look like a bedwetting sheet. No one knows what it is. So yeah, right. You, know, you, you can yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can say, oh, that's their sheet they're wearing tonight, or it keeps them warm. You could say, just keeps them warm at night because it's a bit padded. Yeah, you could just say, you know, they like sleeping with it. it keeps them a bit warm, and then the kid, the other kids would have absolutely no idea. Yeah, so brilliant. That's that what I was just thinking. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's easier at family and things like that because, that, yeah. that, you know, grandma would be aware of what's going on exactly. or, or something like that. But if they're yeah. staying at the cousins, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I was just thinking because you do have such beautiful designs on them, you could just—it's almost like their comforter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Um, thank you so much. Now, where can people find you and your amazing products? 
So our website is um, themidnightgang.com um, and we mostly hang out at Instagram. So I do a lot of lives and interviews myself and lots of information and sharing of my own journey um, on Instagram. So that's probably where um, you get to see lots of behind the scenes and lots of things that are coming up. And we've got a um, actually on Monday we're releasing a brand new product, which is a waterproof doona cover. And we're so excited about them because especially with boys, even though our bedmates protect the bottom sheets, they'll often wet the doona. And so that means you've got to not just wash the doona cover, but the whole doona, which is an absolute nightmare. So our waterproof doona covers look like a beautiful cover. So they've got gorgeous gingham prints on them, but they've got the benefit of being waterproof as well. So they'll just, even if they've got gastro or a blood nose or things like that, mm. it'll just stop the actual doona from getting wet, um, which especially coming into winter is going to be a lifesaver. That's for sure. That's brilliant. Yeah. I'm I'm happy about that. I'm even just thinking <laughs> uh, on a personal note now, that would be great for our camping trips because yes, absolutely. Uh, we've had a few instances when we've been camping that the dunas got wet mm -hmm. trying to deal with the wet doona while camping. Absolutely. And hmm. when your doona's pushed up against the canvas the too tent, hard. That's and what's happened. It, yes. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what's happened and the condensation and everything and then you end yeah. up with a wet doona. So that's completely yes. off topic, but that's a brilliant <laughs> little. <laughs> I just had a moment then. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. And what was your Instagram handle? It's at the underscore midnight underscore gang. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thanks for sharing what it was like growing up with um, with your twin brothers. I um, appreciate a little insight into that. And, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful having you on. Thanks very much for sharing your tips about um, nighttime bedwetting because I know for a lot of people that is is a big thing. So, yeah, wonderful. Thanks well, thank so you much. so much for having me, Naomi. Bye. It's Talking yeah, Twins bye. and More with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au.